0: You know, in um, in 2007, uh, there was a lecture series that was happening at uh, Carnegie Mellon University. And this lecture series was uh, a time when they invited all of these professors to come to speak about this one hypothetical question. And this question was, if you had one last lecture, if you had one last chance what would you tell the world if you had just one more opportunity just one last one then what would you tell the entire world that was the whole question and so professors from all over would come to speak about that and during one of these lectures there was a man named randy posh and he was a professor at carnegie mellon and he was on the list to speak at one of those lectures as well but as he was preparing a month beforehand, he found out that he actually had terminal cancer, terminal pancreatic cancer. And so for him, he only had a few more months to live. And so when he was preparing for this hypothetical question, it stopped being hypothetical. It became reality for him. And so for him, in his book, as he he was thinking about it, as he was praying, as he was thinking and, and preparing for this, the words that kept going through his mind was, what do I want my last words to be? What do I want my last words to be? You see, in this passage here, it's part of a longer teaching called the Farewell Discourse. In other words, it was, it's the time right before Jesus' death, it was the night before his death, actually. That he went to his disciples and he was teaching them exactly what he wanted them to know. And you see, Jesus, he was fully man, but at the same time, he was fully God. And so he knew that the next day, in a couple hours, he would die. He knew that. And so for him, the last thing that was on his heart were these words. What do I want my last words to be to these disciples? What do I want my last words to be? Because he knew for a fact that, these, that in a few hours, these disciples, their lives would be completely transformed in a bad way. That their entire world would fall apart. Because, you see, the God that they followed, the God that they trusted, the God that they believed was to be true and the only way to heaven, you see, that God, they would see him hanging on a cross, dead. And so for them, their entire lives would fall apart. And so for them, the one idea, the one thought that would go through their heads was if death could conquer Jesus, then it could conquer me too. There was this complete fear of death. And that fear of death is within all of us also. You know, in high school, I had this reoccurring thing, this episode that kept happening. It was for Two to three months, I remember, every single night before I went to sleep. Right before I went to sleep, right before I would pass out, I would all of a sudden start to have these really strange thoughts. And these thoughts would be so strange because I would never think about this before. But all of a sudden, I would begin to think about my parents dying, about my parents passing away. I began to think about that day when they get too old So they won't be able to move anymore. And that day when they're going to breathe their last and I'm not going to be able to talk to them again. And that moved down inevitably to the last day of my brother, to the last day of my sister. And inevitably it went down to the last day that I'm going to be alive. What's that day going to be like? What's that day going to be like when I know for a fact that I only have a couple more hours to live? And it was haunting to me. And it was to the point where I couldn't breathe at times. And I would have to turn on all the lights and just walk around and try to forget. It would be so bad. And I think it's scary because it's just so real. It's inevitable. When we watch scary movies, for example, if it gets too scary, what do you do? You just turn it off. If you go to a haunted house for fun or a haunted maze, if it gets too scary, then what do you do? You just turn around. I I don't want to deal with this anymore. You just turn. You just go. Right? But when it comes to death, when it comes to this specific thing, you can't turn away. You can't turn it off. It's relentless. It's something that everyone will encounter. And you see, this problem of death has been in every culture, it has been throughout all of time. Back then, there would be alchemists who would try to perform experiments to get this elixir of life. Back then, there would be these journeys and, and tales of a last crusade where they would find, try to find this holy grail. And once they find this holy grail, they would be able to have immortality. And even now in our day, there is a new exercise or a new fad, or a new food, or a new something that will extend our life and avoid what is unavoidable. But you see, we can't avoid it. And that's where the fear comes from, because we know that it's coming. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he knew this. He knew that they would struggle with the fear of death, because As much pain and as much persecution as they went through, it would be absolutely nothing to what they would endure in the future. Because these disciples would experience the worst deaths that you could imagine. They would be torn in two. They would be crucified upside down. They would be mauled by animals. This was their future. This is what they would have to endure And yet through this one passage, through this one word that Jesus says, these disciples completely change. These disciples completely have a different outlook on life to the point where we know that when they were in prison, when they were suffering, when they were facing death, they were praising God. They were so happy and they're shouting for joy. And so what was that word? What was that one word of comfort that Jesus gave to his disciples that completely changed them? And it's in this passage here. He says, I will have a place ready for you. I will have a place ready for you. That's it. That's all he says. He says, Don't worry, don't be troubled. Don't worry about any of those things, because you know what? I'm going to have a home ready for you. I'm going to have a place where you belong, so you don't have to worry about what's happening now, because I have a home ready for you. You see, home for us is a really powerful image. I don't think we, we really understand how ingrained it is in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. We spend billions of dollars every year traveling back to our hometowns every Christmas season. We spend thousands of dollars building our homes, building a place where we can live. You know, in uh, 1993, there was a movie about two dogs and a cat trying to find its way back home. It earned over $30 million in the box office. It was called Homeward Bound. Great movie, by the way. (laughs) Ten years later, in 2003, there was a movie about a fish trying to find its way back home. It earned over $300 million. It was a blockbuster phenomenon. It's still talked about today. It was called Finding Nemo. Excellent movie as well. (laughs) Why? Why is this idea of home so big in our lives? Why is this idea of home such a big part of who we are? Why do we keep searching for a home? It's simple. It's because home is a place where you belong. Home is, is where you can be yourself. A home is where you can just, you can just rest. You don't have to put on a facade you don't have to put on a mask. You don't have to do anything else. This is, that's where your home is. That's where you belong. You can have the absolute worst day at work. You can have the worst day at school. You can have the, ter- the most terrible things happen to you. And yet when you step into your home, go to your seat. Go to your bed. Go to where you feel most comfortable. Where you can drop down everything else. Man, that's home. That's home. And that's why homelessness is such a terrible thing. And that's why we fight so hard to eradicate homelessness. Because when we don't have a home, we are constantly wandering. We constantly do not have this place where we belong. And so when we don't belong somewhere, we're never going to belong to someone either. We're never going to be able to give ourselves to someone else. You know, Ben Danielson, who's a, who's a doctor, uh, specializes in child trauma, he talks about how when children don't grow up with a home, when they have grown up homeless, it says that they have a fundamental inability to attach to others, that as they get older, they just cannot attach to someone else. They cannot fully invest in another person. And so they're constantly running from relationship to relationship. They're constantly running from person to person because for them, they have never belonged when they were younger and so they can't belong when they're older either. And so homelessness is such a disease, it's such a pain in us, it's such a sin that we have to deal with. But the crazy thing is, and this is something that is important for us to know, that even if we find a home, Even if you find a home, the greatest home that you will ever find is not going to be enough. That even if you find the best place, the place that you feel like you belong, the absolute most, that will always be lacking. There will always be an emptiness in you. You see, the greatest home will always have a fault. The greatest father and the greatest mother will only be human. And the greatest child will always just be sinful, also. There will always be an emptiness there. And that home that we search for, that belonging that we want, will never be found on this earth. It can't, because Jesus has made it that way for us. You see, and there's a, a problem that was from the very beginning. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve first sinned, their punishment was to be cast out. It was to be homeless. And ever since that moment, for us as humans, we've been trying everywhere to find our home. We've been running to every single thing, trying to find something that will fulfill us, something that will grab us. And so we go into our jobs 100%. We try to reach for that promotion we try to reach for that relationship. We try to reach for that house or that car or that thing that will try to satisfy us. And yet when we do find that, we realize it doesn't satisfy. And the thing is, we tend to exalt and we tend to respect those people who have achieved all of those things, and yet those people, most of the time, are the most unsatisfied. You know, I think it was Jim Carrey who said, I hope, I, I wish that everyone would get rich and famous and do everything that they dream of so that they could find out that's not the answer. You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Problem of Pain, he says the reason why the best marriages, the best careers, the best things in this world leave us empty is because on this journey, God gives us pleasant ends, but encourages, not, encourages us not to mistake them for home. And he goes on to say, creatures aren't born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. And that's why when a baby feels hunger, that's why there's food. When a duckling wants to swim, that's why there's water. And if there's a desire in my heart, That nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable answer is that I was made for another world. If nothing here can satisfy, then it's not that the universe is a fraud. It means earthly pleasures weren't meant to satisfy us. It was only meant to hint towards the real thing. Our life, our satisfaction is not found here. And if you try your best to find it here, you will always come up empty. It will always be like sand running through your hands. You will never be able to grab it fully. And the thing is, I think for us, this idea of heaven, it's, it's so abstract at times. It's something that we can't grasp in our minds because we see in books and in movies that it is uh, what pearly gates, right? It is streets of gold. It's in the clouds with angels. And so we think of this kind of heaven, and it it seems good, but it doesn't seem that great. But the thing that's right in front of us, the thing that we can see that is right there, that is what I want more. And so for us, we automatically shift towards what we want here in this life instead of looking towards heaven. You see, a a lot of religions, what they say heaven is, is is more of a mental state. It's reaching a certain perfection in your mind, whether that is a type of nirvana, whether that is a type of uh, kind of reincarnation where you feel like you are uh, at the very peak of your existence. A lot of religions kind of say that, but heaven doesn't say that. Heaven's actually very clear. It says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth that will come. And it says that life will be so glorious there. It says that you'll be so in love with everything that's happening there that it can't even compare to what we look at here. To the most beautiful sunset in this lifetime, it cannot compare to how heaven will be. But they say that heaven, the reason why heaven is heaven, the reason why heaven is so great is not because of how beautiful it is, it's because Jesus is going to be there with us. That's why in verse 3, it says this, I will take you to be there because where I am, you may also be. See, that is what is important. Because for us, we can be with Jesus here, but it's not going to be anywhere near as intimate. It's not going to be anywhere near as relational as it will be in heaven. You know, one of the best experiences that you could ever have is really giving all of yourself to someone else. In other words, trying to lay down all of the facade, all of the things that you're going, all of the mass, all the walls that you have built up, and really showing that other person who you really are. The, showing them your sin, your darkest parts, all of your past, and at the same time having them accept you. Man, that is a beautiful feeling. But you see, in heaven, Jesus, he's not going to just accept you. He's going to rejoice in you. He's going to praise, and he's going to be so happy and thankful for you. It's going to be so much different. It's like trying to compare a puddle to an ocean. Our relationship with Jesus will be incomparable to any type of relationship that we have here. And so for us, what is our main question that we have? It's the question that Thomas has in this passage here. How do we get to heaven? How do we get to heaven? Thomas says in verse 5, Lord, I I don't know the way. I don't know how to get there. I have no idea how to get to this place called home. I want to go, but I don't know. But one thing I want you to know is that when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place, he's not talking about going to heaven. He's talking about going to the cross. You see, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve, when they sinned and their punishment was to be cast out, was to be homeless, that was the right punishment for them. That's the right punishment for us because, you see, the wages of sin is separation from God. Because the more you sin, the more prideful you become and the more separated from people you are. And so our punishment, what we needed to have done is to be homeless. That's our rightful punishment. And yet Jesus, for him, he went to be homeless instead. He went to the cross to die. He took our punishment so that we could have a home. That's what Jesus took. He became homeless so that we could have a home. And so that's why death for us, it has no sting anymore. That's why death for us, it has no power. Because for us, you see, Jesus has already taken all of the sting away. He has experienced the full brunt of death. He has experienced the full power of death. He was forsaken by God. He was left alone by the Lord. He was left alone by everybody else. So that we when we die, we can go up to heaven and we can have a home where we belong. That is the gospel. And that is what God has done for us. And so when Jesus says, "I am preparing a place for you," he is not going up to heaven, but he went to the cross. And he knew from the very minute that he said those words, that for him, he was going to experience a complete separation from God for that moment. He was going to to experience the most pain that you could endure. He was going to experience the full brunt of death. But he did that so that we could have a home. He did that so that for us, when we die, it's just a shadow. It's just a shadow of death so that for us, when we die, we can praise the Lord and we can go to heaven where we belong. And we can go to heaven where we can be home. You know, Donald Barnhouse, he's a pastor in Philadelphia. He uses, he says uh, this story. A couple, a few years ago, his, his wife had uh, passed away, and it left him with uh, their three young children. And so for him, he was on his way to her funeral with, with the children in the car, and he was trying so hard to find the right way to explain death to his children. He was trying so hard to find the best way to explain what a Christian means when, it, when he means death. And as he was driving, he saw this truck up ahead, and he asked his children, look at this truck. Do you see this long shadow that's cast by the truck? And they said, yes. And he says, if this truck all of a sudden stopped, and I couldn't stop this car, would you rather get hit by the truck, or or would you rather be hit by the shadow of the truck? And the kids, they go, "Oh, of course, of course. I'd rather get hit by the shadow of the truck. That doesn't hurt. And he says, that's right. Because that's what Jesus did. He got hit by the truck. So your mom, when she died, she would just have to be hit by the shadow of the truck. There was nothing there that was scary. Because for her, she's home now. She's where she belongs now. And for us as well, I want that to be the innermost part of who we are. That there is no more power in death. That death has no sting anymore. That death has no power in us anymore. Because you see, Jesus, he took the full brunt of death. He became homeless so that we could have a home. That's what Jesus did for us. And so now when we are facing death, Now for us, when we look at death, it is only a shadow. It is only a sliver of what death really is. Because you see, Jesus, he conquered death. He overcame death. And so because he conquered it, we have no more fear. We can look at death in the face and we can laugh. We can be like the disciples and we can sing praise to the Lord and say, you know what? You have no power over me anymore. There are no bondages here anymore. There's no chains covering me anymore because death, you have no power here. Because Jesus, you have taken care of everything. I know that you are waiting for me in heaven. I know that you have a home prepared for me now. And so it's going to be okay. I know that no matter what I face in this life, it's going to be okay because God, you have prepared a home for me. You have prepared a home that is ready for me where I belong. That's where I belong. I don't belong here, I belong in heaven. I belong in heaven. My brothers and sisters, is that what you believe? Is that what you believe? In the very depths of your heart, to the very bottom of your bones, is that what you believe? Because if that is 100% what you believe, then there is no problem, there is no trouble, there is no suffering in this world that will ever be able to overcome you. There is nothing in this life that will ever be able to hinder who you are and your identity in Christ. Because there will always be evil in this world. That's a fact. As long as we are living here, there is going to be evil. And for us as Christians, you know what? You're going to face even more persecution. And you will face even more hardships than others. But the only way to deal with that, the only way for us to overcome that, is to trust and believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. That it says here that he is the one way, the one truth, and the one life. And that through him, we have eternal life. And if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus Christ came down to earth, that he died on the cross to be homeless, and yet conquered death and rose again from the grave, and now he is in heaven preparing a place for you, then what do you have to fear? What is there there on this earth that you have to fear? when Jesus already has a home ready for you, when he has a place where you belong, where a place where you will feel so ready and so restful, where you have no more facades, where you have no more masks, where you can totally be yourself and God rejoices in you. That place is ready for you. That place is waiting for you. Do you want this hope? Do you want this hope? then you need to lay down everything. In this verse here, it says, it doesn't say Jesus says, uh, you need to go prepare a place for you. It says, I will go prepare a place for you. And that is so different from how we usually think in this world. Because for us, in order to get a good test score, we have to put in the work. In order to to achieve a good job, we have to put in the work. And yet for here, it says, Jesus says, give up on your ability. Give up on yourself. Give up on the things that you think are great and just rely on me because I'm going to go prepare a place. I'm going to be going to prepare a home for you. So just trust in that. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in the things that you can do. Don't trust in your belongings here. Just trust in me. Just trust in me. That's all you need because I'm going to go. I'm going to prepare this place. And so for you, you just have to have hope in that because you're going to endure suffering here. You will endure fear here. You will endure evil here. But you know what? It's going to be okay. You can sing praises because I will have a home ready for you. You know, a hotel is a great place to stay, but it's a terrible place to live. Work, relationships, money, All of these things are good. They're really good. But they're not home. You can't live there. You can't stay there forever. It's going to be empty. You will not be satisfied by those things. Only Jesus will be able to satisfy you. And the only comfort that you will ever find in this world is to know that you are not made for this world. The only comfort you will have here in all of this evil, in all of the terribleness of this world, is to know that in the future, that when you die, you will finally be where you belong, with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that this would be the beating of my heart. I pray, Lord, that this would be the marrow of my bones, that this would be it for me, Lord. God, that you have given this word to your disciples on that day, right before you were to die. God, that you saw all that they would face. You saw all the hurt and the pain that they would have to endure. And so you gave them this one word, do not be troubled because I have a place ready for you. And so, God, I pray that that would be our desire as well. I pray that that would be our hope as well, Lord. That no matter what, no matter what troubles we face, no matter what hardships we go through, that that would be our one desire is to say, God, I trust in you and I don't want anything else here. That the things here are good, but I don't want those things to satisfy me because only you can satisfy me. And so, God, I trust in you. I trust in you, Lord, that you have prepared a home for me. And so right now, if you could just pray that prayer, are you willing to give up everything to lay down your own belongings, to lay down your own pride and your own ability? Because Jesus is the one who is preparing a place for you. But you won't be able to go there if you're not willing to give it up to the Lord. And so look into your own heart today. Look into who you are right now. And ask the Lord, God, take this from me. I want to trust in you alone. Take these things from me. Take my addictions from me. Take the thing that I idolize more than anything else from me. I don't want that anymore, God. I want to, I want to hope in you. I want my hope to be placed in you, Lord. I want that more than anything. And so for us right now, let's pray that together. Pray that. And Jesus will answer. Jesus will answer. Let's pray.